I'm John. And I'm John. We're classically trained conductors who are also working theater music directors. Each week, we'll tell you a little bit about shows we enjoy and why you should check them out if you haven't yet. This is Musical Minutes with John and John. Hi, John. Hello, John. How are you today? I'm doing well. Uh, It's now the middle of January, as far as everyone knows out there in podcast world. And (laughs) um, getting ready to actually head up to New York in a couple of weeks. I'm going back to the Fort Salem Theater to music direct their production of The Music Man, which opens in March. So that will be fun. A little crazy, a little different, but take the gigs where you can get them. When they're at places like that, I look forward to it. Yeah, that's fantastic. I am doing an orchestra concert of brand new student composer works, which is terribly exciting. Uh, in, in real time, in the real world, I just got the scores today. As this is being released, theoretically, I am about to have my first rehearsal, but it's uh, very exciting to be back with an orchestra working on live music. Excellent. That actually, you know what? In school, that was actually one of my favorite time periods is when you got to do the new music readings, because some of them were actually really fun to work on. Yeah, that's always a blast. So what are we talking about today, John? Today, we are talking about the musical Wicked, with music and lyrics by Stephen Schwartz, book by Winnie Holtzman, based on the novel Wicked, The Life and Times of the Wicked Witch of the West by Gregory Maguire. Wicked opened at the Gershwin Theater on October 30th, 2003, and as of December 12th, 2021, has played for 6,934 performances. Wicked was directed by Joe Mantello with choreography by Wayne Salento and music direction by Stephen Ormus. The original Broadway cast included Adele Dezim as Elphaba, Kristen Chenoweth as Galinda, Norbert Leo Butts as Fiero, Joel Gray as the Wizard of Oz, Carol Shelley as Madame Morrible, Michelle Federer as Nessa Rose, Christopher Fitzgerald as Bach, and William Eumanns as Dr. Dillamond. Wicked was nominated for 10 Tony Awards and won three Best Actress for Adele Dazeem, Best Scenic, and Best Costume Design. The production split most categories with Avenue Q and The Revival of Assassins. In the land of Oz, the Ozians celebrate the death of Elphaba, the Wicked Witch of the West. Glinda, the good witch, floats in and reveals Alphaba's past. Her mother had an affair with a traveling salesman. After her father, the governor of Munchkinland, went out of town. She became pregnant and gave birth to a baby girl with green skin, whom her father resented and instead showered his affection on her younger sister, Nessa Rose, who is confined to a wheelchair. Glinda admits that they were friends, leading her to tell their story. A flashback starts with a scene at Shiz University, where Elphaba arrives with her father and Nessa Rose. As their father says goodbye, he gives Nessa a pair of jeweled shoes. The headmistress of Shiz, Madame Morrible, decides to take Nessa under her wing, leaving the nerdy Elphaba and the popular Galinda as roommates. Elphaba 
anxious, uses magic to pull Nessa Rose's wheelchair back after Morrible attempts to depart with her sister. Madame Morrible recognizes Alphaba's potential and decides to teach her sorcery. She tells Alphaba her powers might allow her to one day work with the wonderful Wizard of Oz, something Alphaba has dreamed of her whole life. Belinda and Alphaba do not get along. Clashing with each other, even in their classes, such as their history class with Dr. Dillamund, a goat who, as the only animal professor at Shiz, is beginning to suffer from discrimination. He tells Alphaba about a conspiracy to stop animals from speaking, and she wants to let the wizard know. The winky prince, Fiero Tigalar, arrives at Shiz and introduces the other students to his philosophy of simply dancing through life. He decides to have a party at the Ozdust Ballroom that evening, and everyone agrees to go. A munchkin named Bach asks Glinda to go with him, but she convinces him to take Nessa Rose so she could go with Fiero. At the party that evening, Bach tries to tell Nessa the real reason he invited her, but is too nice to hurt her feelings. Madame Morrible arrives to tell Glinda that she can join her sorcery class at Alphaba's obliging request and gives her a wand. Alphaba arrives wearing a witch's hat Glinda gave her as a practical joke, only to find the other students laughing and staring while she dances alone. Glinda starts to dance with her, and soon everyone joins in, allowing the girls to finally start to become friends. Back in their room, they continue to bond with secrets. Glinda decides to give her new friend a personality makeover. In class the next day, Dr. Dillamond tells the class that he has been dismissed from his teaching position. Alphaba wants to help, but no one will stand up with her. Afterward, the students are introduced to the cage, which will keep animals controlled. Alphaba's fury cannot be contained, and in the ensuing chaos, she and Fiero steal a lion cub and escape. They share a private moment with each other before he leaves to free the cub, leaving Alphaba alone to lament. Madame Morrible tells Alphaba that the wizard has decided to meet her. Nessa Rose, Fiero, and Galinda see her off at the train station. Galinda tries to impress Fiero by changing her name to simply Glinda in honor of Dr. Dillamond, but Fiero just says his goodbyes. Alphaba invites Glinda for a day of sightseeing in the Emerald City. Alphaba and Glinda meet the Wizard of Oz, who turns out to be not quite as scary as they thought. He promises Alphaba that he will grant her request if she proves herself. Madame Morrible appears. She is revealed to be the wizard's new press secretary. She gives Alphaba a book of spells called the Grimmery, which only the magically gifted can read. Alphaba is asked to try a levitation spell on the wizard's monkey servant, Chistery, but it only makes Chistery sprout wings. Alphaba discovers that the wizard is the one behind the suppression of the animals, and that he is a fraud. She runs from the wizard's chamber, and to prevent the truth from getting out, Madame Morrible warns all of Oz that Alphaba is a wicked witch. Alphaba swears revenge on the wizard and performs a spell on a broom and flees from the Emerald City. Sometime later, Alphaba's opposition has earned her the title of the Wicked Witch of the West. Glinda has become the positive public front. 
given the title Glinda the Good and positioned by the wizard as the nation's defender against Alphaba. A press conference to celebrate Fiero's engagement to Glinda and appointment as captain of the guard is hijacked by the crowd's panicked rumors about Alphaba, including one saying that pure water can melt her. Fiero is incredulous and not convinced by Glinda's insistence that Alphaba does not want to be found. However, he realizes that his attempts to locate her have been unsuccessful and reluctantly agrees to marry Glinda. Glinda attempts to keep a cheerful front for the press, but clearly regrets her decision. Alphaba pays a visit to Nessa Rose, now the governor of Munchkinland, following the death of their father. Nessa has taken away the Munchkin's rights so that Bach can't leave her. Alphaba tries to convince her sister to side with her against the wizard, but Nessa is more concerned with her own problems. Alphaba tries to help by giving Nessa the power to walk by turning Nessa's jeweled shoes into ruby slippers. Nessa calls for Bach, convinced he would love her now, but he only sees this as proof that she does not need him anymore and the opportunity to take his last chance to tell Glinda his love for her. Nessa takes the grimmery and tries to cast a spell to make Bach fall in love with her. However, she pronounces the words all wrong and accidentally shrinks Bach's heart. Elphaba works another spell to save his life, if in a different physical form. When Bach awakens, Elphaba is gone, and he finds himself transformed into the Tin Woodman. Horrified, Nessa lays the blame on Elphaba. Elphaba returns to the wizard's palace to free the monkey servants and encounters the wizard. He tries once again to convince her to work with him, telling her that he is not evil, but just an average man who came into his position by chance, and he offers to redeem Elphaba's reputation. She is almost won over until she sees Dr. Dillamond, who has lost the power of speech. Angered by this, Elphaba accuses the wizard of his crimes, but the wizard calls the guards to arrest Elphaba. However, Fiero helps Elphaba escape and leaves with her. Heartbroken at Fiero's decision, Glinda suggests to the wizard and Madame Morrible to use Nessa Rose as bait. Morrible agrees and conjures up a change in the weather. In the middle of the woods, Alphaba and Fiero express their love for each other before Alphaba has a vision of Nessa in danger. Before Alphaba leaves, Fiero says she could stay at Kiamo Ko, a castle his family owns. Alphaba arrives in Munchkinland to find Nessa crushed by a house with a girl named Dorothy Gale and her dog Toto inside, who Glinda sent on the yellow brick road with Nessa's ruby slippers. The two have a heated argument as the wizard's guards arrive. Fiero holds Glinda hostage until Alphaba flees. Glinda pleads for the guards not to harm him, but they do not listen and escort Fiero into a nearby cornfield. Meanwhile, at Kiamo Ko, Alphaba tries to cast a spell to save Fiero, but is crestfallen by the limitations of her power. She decides to accept her reputation as a wicked witch. In the Emerald City, all the citizens unite in declaring war on Alphaba. Glinda has realized that Madame Morrible is responsible for Nessa's death. She flees in horror to warn Alphaba as the angry mob sets out to take Kiamako, where Alphaba holds Dorothy and Toto captive, refusing to release them until Dorothy gives her Nessa's slippers. 
Glinda warns her of the danger and begs her to let Dorothy and Toto go. Elphaba refuses until she receives a letter concerning Fiero. The two women forgive each other, acknowledging their mistakes. To help her in her future, Elphaba gives the grimmery to Glinda. The two friends embrace for the last time before the mob arrives. Glinda hides and she watches as Dorothy throws a bucket of water on Elphaba, melting her. The only remains of her are her pointy hat and the green elixir that her mother drank. In the Emerald City, Glinda confronts the wizard with Elphaba's bottle, which he recognizes as his own. It is revealed that he was Elphaba's biological father, her mother's lover, and the cause of her green skin. Glinda banishes the wizard from Oz and sends Madame Morrible to prison. Meanwhile, Fiero, who has been transformed into the Scarecrow by Elphaba's spell, comes to the spot where Elphaba melted. He knocks on the floor, and out from a trap door steps Elphaba, very much alive. Before leaving, Elphaba regrets that she will never see Glinda again to tell her that they are alive. Spontaneously, the musical returns to its starting point. Glinda finishes the story and promises the people of Oz that she will properly earn her title as Glinda the Good. As the people celebrate and Glinda quietly mourns, Elphaba and Fiero leave Oz. I am conflicted about this show. On one hand, I like the music. I think some of the music is well done. And I I say that even with my further confliction about Stephen Schwartz, who I think has written some great music and I think has written some not so great music. But this show is kind of a dichotomy for me. Yeah, I, I I feel very similarly to you. It, I I understand why people love this show, and like you, there I agree that there are some really really great songs in this show. This is just not the show for me. Like I am not the target audience for this show, and I don't think that's a criticism of the show. I don't think the show has done anything wrong. Obviously, it's incredibly successful and very popular, and I think I, again I totally understand why people love it. I just um don't care like the the story is just like just does not move me in any way i understand i part of part of my my hesitance on the show actually has a lot to do with the story so growing up i remember reading the wizard of oz i saw the movie but i really fell in love with the books ended up reading all the books that l frank Baum wrote over however many decades that kind of sets up this uni- the, the the universe of Oz. And it's, it's funny because then that was kind of a big deal because they didn't do the whole multiple, un- you know, multiple novels spanning a universe. We're, we're kind of spoiled now because we've got the Marvel Cinematic Universe and we've got the DC Cinematic Universe. We've got Star Wars and we've got Star Trek. The fact that you had an author writing a large number of books about not necessarily a single set of characters, but a place and things that went on in there is kind of a big deal. And then we get to Wicked, which kind of craps all over so much of that. I mean, I, I don't, I I don't want to be disrespectful. Okay. I want to be a little disrespectful here. 
the show is based off of Gregory Maguire's young adult novel, Wicked, The Life and Times of the Wicked Witch of the West, which I've read. I will fully admit I did not particularly enjoy. And if you've seen them, if you've seen this show and you compare it to the book, you'll find out that it has relatively few things in common. I mean, they have the same name. They both take place in Oz. They both give the Wicked Witch the, of the West the name Alphaba. And then it just kind of gets off from there. And I don't want to use the term resent because that's not, that's not a fair representation of either the material or my feelings. But the fact that we have what is basically a backstory for everything in Oz as we know it has basically been retconned by first Gregory Maguire and then this show. And I don't know, it just, it it takes me out knowing, it takes me out of the story knowing what I know about this universe that L. Frank Baum created. Other side of the coin, though, is some of this music, like I said, is really quite good to the point of, almost becoming cultural, which, as we'll discuss, I think, in a minute, is both a plus and a minus when it comes to this show. Yeah. I'm curious what songs stand out to you in this show as being the really great ones. Well, Like It or Lump It, I think Defying Gravity is a well-written duet. I think the final... Uh, the final verse in, in, in chorus that Alphaba uh, sings as she's being raised into the air. I mean, it's, it's an incredibly powerful moment. It's, a, it, you know, it's, it's steeped in self-determination and it's, uh, you know, it's to, to borrow a labored, overdone cultural point. It's Thanos picking up the glove and saying, I'll just do it myself. That's what this feels like to me. This is literally... Alphaba uh, uh, saying, okay, you know what? Screw all the rest of you. I'm just going to take care of this myself. And then she flies off. Act one's over. Like it's, it's, it's iconic for the show, but musically it's an incredibly powerful moment. I feel as world building things like songs, like the wizard of the wizard and I, and one short day, are well done. One Short Day especially because it's funny. One Short Day has always felt to me what a classic opening number for a Broadway musical is. Of course, in this show, it comes halfway through Act One. And it's great. It works in its purpose. It's a little misplaced, but purely from a musical standpoint, it's incredibly effective. I feel at this point we compelled to point out that... uh... The role of Elphaba was really played by Indina Menzel. Well, who... yeah, that's that's what we said. Is that what we said? Huh? Yeah. Oh. Okay, Adele, Ma- Adele Dazeem played Elphaba. Right. That's what, yes. That, that's yeah. what we said. Yeah. So, and <laughs> I, I agree with you about defying gravity fundamentally. I wish that this show, I, 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 <sighs> I wish that this show had closed. And then reopened. I know it, it. there are new people in the cast now, but we haven't gotten a new recording because it's still technically the same production. 
and there are tours that I could have gone and see, but I haven't. I will confess at this moment in time as well that I haven't actually seen this show. I have only listened to it. Um, Indina Menzel has one of those voices that just doesn't do it for me. I don't enjoy listening to her sing. And that I don't say that to take anything away from her. She's a very talented actress and has done phenomenal things that I can only dream about. But it's tough for me to listen to this show because it just like the, the story kind of similarly to you were saying, I don't really care for it. Uh, setting aside the, how it sort of destroys the Oz universe. It just doesn't really make sense even within the context of just the wizard of Oz that many of us know either from the original book or from the movie, probably more likely it, it just doesn't, things don't line up in my brain, it doesn't quite track. It doesn't end up where it seems like it needs to end up. And um, it's just, uh, I don't know. It's, it's just hard for me to, to get into this one because it is so obviously targeted at not me. Well, yeah, but without getting too far afield of that. And yes, I, I, I understand this is, this show is targeted very specifically at Joe Joe Schmo public, this is meant to be commercially viable. This is meant to be an enjoyable two and a half hours. If you think a little deeper about it, okay, that's on you. That's fine. This was meant to make money to tell the story, and you know, there's no, not to oversimplify it, but I don't feel like there's a deeper meaning in this production in this presentation. And from, from lack of a better term, from a musical snob's perspective, I mean, this show is fine. We talk, we've talked about in past weeks about how there are shows, the best shows out there have no filler, have no chaff that you have to separate from the wheat. There, there are no songs on the cast album that you want to skip. Wicked, whether you like it or not, suffers from having two or three songs too many. And unfortunately, they're filler songs. Um, it, it's funny because in my head, there's always this concept of when you revive, when, when a musical is revived or when a musical is recorded into a movie, there's always this push either by the original composers or someone else, if, you know, if the original com composition team is, has passed on, to add a new song or add, add a new something. And this is the only show I know of that has that feeling, yet it's still part of the original show. In Act Two, there's a song. Uh, it's a duet between uh, Fierro and Elphaba, uh, played by Leo Norbert Butts and Idina Menzel, respectively, called As Long As You're Mine. And if you listen from the cast, listen to the cast album from the beginning to the end, one song just pops out like a sore thumb, like this song is not like any other song on the cast album. And that's As Long As You're Mine. It's like, did did they write the show and then add this, like, I don't know the day before opening or something and and Steven Schwartz had moved into like a new compositional period or something like it, it just it feels so incredibly out of place that I just 
when I'm listening to the cast album, end up skipping. And that's never a great sign for the cohesion of a show. You don't want to be putting songs in your show that people feel they need to skip over to continue their enjoyment. Yeah, I think that's fair. But ultimately, who the hell are we? We're two guys sitting in our offices talking about a show that is genuinely iconic. Like, right. To, to the point that, as we were discussing before we started recording, Wicked is now kind of the standard bearer for the American musical. If something is going to spoof a musical, it is probably spoofing Wicked. If something is going to make a musical joke and reference Wicked, where uh, reference musical theater, it is probably in the style and vein of Wicked. And that, I mean, that, I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, but that is definitely something that is probably to the show's credit because you you can't do that unless you attain such a level of um oh, popularity that I want to use yeah sure we can go with that right well and, and it is very much a double-edged sword wicked is as a show is cultural whether you are a a fan of musical theater whether you have seen broadway shows or you haven't you are familiar with the concept of wicked it is so ubiquitous in pop culture right now that you know this show. The problem is, is it's so ubiquitous in pop culture now that you know this show. And as a consequence, it is incredibly easy to spoof. And like you said, if someone is going to be making a joke, whether it's lighthearted or or not, at the expense of American musical theater as it exists now, chances are it's going to be wicked adjacent. Whether it's spoofing popular or defying gravity or something or anything like that. This has become the easy target because it is so well known. Great for ticket sales because it is so well known. You know, it's like how in the late 80s, everybody wanted to get tickets to Les Miserables. How in the mid 80s and the early 80s, it was Cats and Phantom. And, you know, in the late 70s, it was Evita and and so on and so forth, going all the way back to Rodgers and Hammerstein and their string of just artistic works. When you're at the top, you're incredibly popular. But it makes an interesting dichotomy because I... (laughs) I don't know. It just, it makes me question, do I feel this way about this show because of its own merits? Or am I being curmudgeon and being like, well, if it's super popular, there, there must be something wrong. I, I don't want to be emo, John. I don't. I don't want to be emo about anything, but this show makes me feel like I'm being a little emo. I, I, I think, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with the show. I think the show is very, very good. I think you and I are just never were intended to be the target audience of this show. And we struggle to relate to it, even though we can acknowledge all the good that does genuinely exist within the show. And I want to, I want to keep saying that because I feel like we're coming off as, as very, very negative right now. And I don't want to come off that way because this show in its success uh, is doing something that Broadway at large needs, which is 
existing as a show that is staying in the popular zeitgeist and reminding people that musicals are still around whether it's the best musical in in the world or not well you know we got to do what we can to stay out there period absolutely and to be fair as critical as i'm coming off about it this show is still in my overly large playlist of musicals that i listen to fairly regularly like i don't dislike this show I listen to this show. There are parts of this show I enjoy, but that also doesn't mean I can't come out and say, well, here are some of the cracks in the plaster for me personally. That being said, my cracks in the plaster are not going to be someone else's. And if you think this is the greatest show in the world, good on you. I don't necessarily agree but I understand what makes it enjoyable. I understand what makes it popular and I understand its staying power. I think we've said enough. Is there anything else you want to add about this show? No, I think I've said everything I need to. All right. Well, if you haven't heard Wicked, you can find the original Broadway cast album anywhere that uh, music is available, or you can probably see it somewhere because there are several tours and it is still running on Broadway. Well, that should just about do it for this episode. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can drop us a line at musicalminutespodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Facebook at Musical Minutes with John and John or on Twitter at Musical Mins Pod. That's Musical M-I-N-S Pod. Intro and outro music, Bebop 25, is provided under the Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International License by Jason Shaw on audionautics.com. Thank you for joining us. I'm John. And I'm John. And we'll see you next time.